Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. Wow, that was a huge upgrade. I think that was awesome. Thank you, Tuss. Very, very cool. Throw my hat in the ring there. That's right. Tuss. Actually, Tuss, I feel like you always had the radio voice. Like, this is... The NPR voice? Yeah, the NPR voice. I could go to sleep, listen to you talk. In fact, we've had a lot of listeners say that. Or maybe they say you put them to sleep when you talk. Maybe so. Maybe that's that's it. it. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Anyhow, thanks, guys, for joining us today. Today, we just have Tuss and I, and this will be a baby cast, God willing. We don't have a lot of time to record, so we'll make the most of it. And we're going to talk about why are we so difficult? Are we difficult? Yeah, we're difficult. Every once in a while, someone DMs me or lets me know, like, why do you guys hurt our industry why do you say the things you do you guys are not helping people and that's always a little painful but it's not a lot of people i'm not saying by any means i feel like we're being persecuted but i do know that we do approach things a little bit differently than the standard person Mm. or the standard artist like you'll people will put words out there and they'll say hey this is how we do this or that and well maybe there's another point of view or a different perspective and i think after a while it may seem like to some people that we're just trying to toot our horn or to be difficult or to be shock jocks not really shock jocks but just being difficult for the sake of being difficult so i thought today let's talk about that let's explain your dna because this really this comes from you all right all right but not the second that's just a little teaser i need to make a few announcements because we have a lot going on we still have our apple podcast review going on where if you write a, a review on apple podcast and post it or I say post it, screenshot, and email to me at paul at lashcastpodcast.com, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $200 Amazon gift card. And this is kind of like your gift back to us. If you've gotten anything from tuning in, taking a few minutes just to share with the world what, what you've gotten from it would mean a lot to us just because it is kind of the fuel that gets us going. It is. We literally read them like religiously. I save them. I look at them as motivation. Mm-hmm. They let me know and affirm us. So when I do get the bad, DMs or the post saying that we're ignorant or that we're hurting the industry, I can say, well, I know there's a lot of people that have been helped. <laughs> yeah, we pull out the good ones and we yeah. kind of like bathe in them. Yeah, it's just the way it works. But um, other things, guys, we have our Lashcast Insider Club. As you know, it's the coolest club in the world to be part of. All you need to do to join it is go to the show notes here or go to our Instagram and click on the link there and just give us your email and you will get discounts to our webinars, to Lashcon, to our coaching Everything that we do, if you're on this private list, you will get uh, all the good stuff for a better price. So please go do that today. Also, we have our allergy course, which is currently online and available. We're selling it up to the 23rd of April. So if you listen to this on another time, it may not be available. But just go ahead right now. It's only, guys, 59 bucks, And you will get everything. It's like a three-hour course with two live Q&A sessions where we will sit down with you and answer every question that you can have about this. Make sure you're equipped so that you can no longer lose clients to the lash allergy. You will have a protocol in place and a doctor to partner with and know how to do that. We're going to give you all the scripts, everything you need. Also, guys, our LashCon tickets are coming in May, so that's coming really, really soon, guys. So it looks like the economy is getting back to normal. People are working again. The virus is slowly dying out. So if that all continues as is, LashCon will be live in November Woo-hoo! here in Pasadena. Oh my gosh, cannot yeah. wait. It's, it's gonna, going to be so much fun. Yeah, it's going to be amazing, guys. Also, we want you to be on our show. And some people have been doing this. It's been pretty cool. I've gotten to meet some new Lash artists. Just send me why you want to be on the show. Like, what is your angle? What is your pitch? Like, what can you bring to the Lash industry? Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah, we just want to interview people, different, interesting people and their stories. If you survived COVID, maybe you want to share your COVID story or whatever it is. Just please reach out to us. Email me at paul. If you have a special at talent, whatever. 
at paul at lashcastpodcast.com. And the last thing, Tustney's last retention styling course is going to sell, I believe, this week. That's the plan to have it online. And this is the yeah. first time that I've brought this out in this capacity. Yeah, we've been, she's been teaching them for, oh, gosh, 2010, I think, is when you first started training. But that said, this is really a unique course that you can't find. It's only for advanced stylists. So if you've been doing lashes probably at least one year or less, probably not your wheelhouse. You should probably go um, get a little bit more skill, and then you can come to this because it's going to really challenge you, right? Right. I mean, I taught this to the staff. I refined it over about 10 years. Yeah. And now it's made for my fellow lash artists. Yeah. And it's so. made for people who've been doing this for a while. So we love all you babies or beginners and all that. That's great, but you may want to wait a little bit. It'd be too frustrating. It's going to be really frustrating for you. So, all right, guys, let's get into today's topic on why we are so difficult. And I really just came up with this the other day because I was sitting there thinking, mainly because last week we posted posted something and I had at least four artists reach out to me and just tell me that we are doing bad things for the industry. We are hurting the industry. They say, oh, I like you, but you know, this is really inappropriate and this is negative and you're hurting people. And, and I get it. I've had this has been something we've had for many, many years as we've even way back in the day. I mean, it's actually why we started our podcast mm-hmm. back in 2018 is because we would talk to people at trade shows or events and they would look at us like we were crazy. Like you would just say da 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 da, and they'd look at you like you do that. Yeah, I mean it was really really um, difficult, and then we just felt like these aren't moral conundrums. Most Can't of the stuff we talk we're doing. about it, right? Yeah, like well, where's the forum to be able to talk about it? And maybe where's the forum to be like we can approach this two different ways? I mean, I feel like in the hair world. There are many ways to approach cutting hair, and no one is like shaming other lashes I'm or hairstyles. I might be wrong, maybe they do, but I just sense that the hair world is a little bit more open ended to many different points of view on how you can cut and do hair or, or all that. I mean, we saw a guy who does it with a machete for crying out loud, right? So, I mean, and I didn't see anyone. I mean, now maybe people are like, oh, I can't believe he's cutting with machetes, but back then everyone was like, how cool, that's really different, it's unique, you know? So. Well, I mean, because it's been so established and hairstylists consider themselves artists, which they are, yeah. there's a lot more freedom in some ways and established to try new things, right? I think so. And our world is so new. And I think like anything, everyone, no one knows where the boundaries are. No one knows what's safe. No one knows what's wrong or right. And so people are just trying to somehow get territory, or put some clear boundaries so that we, we have a sense of order, right? Now, it's okay to have order and it's okay to say this is the best practice and things like that. But when it comes to talking about ideas, talking, it's free, right? Yeah. Like, can't we talk about it? A good idea will stand the scrutiny of being poked at. And by the way, if the idea is, I mean, again, the things we talk about, we're not talking about heart surgery. We're not talking about saving a segment of society, like let's say the homeless, dealing with the homeless. Like there are things that can be done that could seriously harm a group of people yeah. and set people back and really marginalize someone. But when we're talking about beauty services, my feeling is that this is the surface stuff. I mean, we do really meaningful work. Like we really just serve people. We oh, love yeah. them and we empower them. And that's great. And maybe if you're talking down to your clients and making them feel insignificant, that's a problem. And that's a more, maybe it is a moral issue. But when you're talking about beauty services, that's No, it's, you know what you know. I liken it to? It's like, would you like pink or would you like orange? Yeah. It's not a moral thing. No, you it's know? a preference, right? Yeah. Beauty services, in this case, are preferences. Maybe some people will feel like, well, it's vain, and that's fine. I don't think any of our clients or anyone who's doing lashes right now is in that camp like, oh, lashes are vain, and, but I'll apply them on you. Like that, No one does that. That's not no. a real thing. So I don't think we have to worry about that argument. I think it's just a matter of how do you want your lashes done? You're okay with us doing your baby lashes. Let me just go through a few of the things that I'll just say that where we're difficult okay. and where I get pushed back, and I've gotten people – 
telling me things that we really are damaging the industry. Okay, go for it. Patch testing. We're not big fans of patch testing. By the way, I'm not going to explain the whys on any of this today. I'm just going to share you in case you just started stumbling or came on to this uh, podcast and Man, these guys say they're difficult. Well, let me share why we're difficult. Then you'll go, yeah, yeah, you guys do sound a little difficult. Okay, let me just, one caveat about yeah. the patch testing. In areas where it is required, yeah. we Most we advocate absolutely. following the rules. Yeah, always follow the state always guidelines, the rules, yeah, yeah, the national rules, whatever they are. We're not saying, you know, screw the man and don't do what the government tells you. No, no, we're very much about being Be compliant. compliance. But in the United States, it's not a requirement, I think, in any state. Maybe it is, but if it is, then you should. But that said, we're not really big fans of it. And if you want to find out, we've talked about it in the past. You just have to go back and hunt Okay, that go to the next one. Rinsing lashes immediately. Yay! Yay! We've been doing that since, I always say, since 2007 or 2006. We've been doing it for a long time. But Yay! that for the longest time was considered forbidden. Using saline to rinse your lashes. That's another one that we've gotten like some crap for. We're like, no, no, distilled water. I'm like, yeah, still water's okay. irritating. But we'll go into that another time. We actually have talked about that too. Cyanoacrylic glues are new to the world and they're not very safe. We don't know much about them. We don't them. know much it's about like a, them. I did a poll once and over 50% of the people said, when I asked, do you think cyanoacrylic glue could cause cancer? And f- over 50% said, maybe. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why are we in this industry if we're applying a glue that can cause cancer? That is really crazy. I mean, yeah, money is good, but it's not that good. I'm not going to give you cancer <laughs> for this. I mean, that said, that was another area where we kind of push back because people don't know. We don't believe in switching out the dot, glue dot. Like, I've been told five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I mean, testing goes hours without switching out the glue. Now, when it's still liquid, the minute it starts to polymerize, I know we're not supposed to get into it yeah, right now. Yeah, when but- it gets tacky, then it's time to like maybe, okay, move on. But And I know every region's different. So what works for us in Southern California may be different than someone in Georgia. That totally makes sense to me. But that said, Okay, what else crazy. is on the list of things? Uh, why we're Don't so throw your glue or throw out your glue every four weeks. Mm. And we're like, why would you do that? It's not a dairy product. It's not a dairy product. Another thing, um, you don't need to shake your glue. We don't use primer. We don't use a sealer. We don't believe the false shed really has any substantial science behind it. There's just a lot of anecdotal evidence. But when it comes to actually medical and Tessa studied all these journals and talked to doctors, and we can't find any evidence, any on this. And there's a lot of research actually on last. Or there's lot, correlations last, and yeah. inferences, but they're not strong, honestly. Yeah. We've talked about how last damage long-term, we've never seen it. Mm-mm. Sure, there's short-term, but yeah. we've never seen the effects of long uh, la- losing lashes over you know 10 years. What has that done? Yeah. Matterosis. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people always point to the brow and we go, yeah, that, that did it happen. Is, it is a different area. It, it is, is a area. different hair. I, it's di- I mean, it, it's made of the same stuff, yeah. but it's different. It's different than head hair. It's different than an eyelash. And I think it's a big thing, too. We see a lot of assumptions made in our industry. Well, if it's true on the head, then it must be true yeah. on the eyes. And if it's true on not, the eyebrow, it's true. On the, no, it's not. No. Every part of your body does operate. Hey, that's a bunch. I could keep going on. I literally think there's about 30, 40 of these things that we hear the industry talk about, and we have kind of like a different opinion on it. And not that, again, we're trying to be difficult, but we just think differently, and we really do try to research and talk to your chemists, doctors about these things so that we can get to the truth of the matter. But let's move back now because now that I've said that we're difficult and some people who've listened to that might go, yeah, I get you guys. You guys do things a little differently. Why are we like this? I mean, where did this all come from, Tess? Because I can tell you, I wasn't that kid in school that challenged the teacher. Mm-mm. I wasn't that kid in school that I just kind of agreed, to be honest. I just, what are the rules so I can get my A? And I figured out those rules and I did them really well and I got my A. Mm-hmm. You, though, and then when it came to the classrooms, I and mean, we'd go, I changed, but in the old days, when we'd go out to a conference and all like that, I'd want to sit in the back row and hide and just not talk. And you'd be like, we're sitting in the front and we're going to ask questions. And you'd even nudge me at times. You're like, 
ask a question. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't have a question. I don't know what to say. And you go, no, you need to start thinking and start asking questions. If you want my respect That's as right. a man, yeah. you better ask, you some, better ask questions. some questions, you flipping loser. So... That's how you affected me, and I started thinking a little bit differently. I still know we're close to you, but where did this all start? I mean, was it something like, were you that difficult child? Or? No, actually it wasn't. I was extremely compliant. I really wasn't. I was kind of quiet and a little bit mousy. But what I did learn was that it was okay to ask questions. I didn't take that as shame. Yeah, you really aren't afraid of asking the, the dumbest no, question No, you know, because the thing is, <laughs> no I, I don't care, because I'm there to learn. Yeah. And if I have the question, it does usually mean that somebody else might think about it too, and yeah. they're just too embarrassed to ask. Yeah. I'm not going to let that opportunity go by. I would rather weather, you know, other people thinking that I'm stupid by asking something so basic, but I'm not going to leave the room without having that question addressed. So was that in high school, junior high, or was this afterwards when you went to beauty school? When did this all begin, this inquiring mind who wants to understand and know what's going on? The first time I can recall it was in Mr. Root's photography class. And I remember all my fellow students just groaning when I'd ask a question. But the reason why (laughs) I did was because Mr. Root was safe. He was very artistic. He was very affirming. He was amazing. And he let me know that it was okay to ask the question. And he would take the time to answer it. I know that I've just the first time I ever heard this, Mr. Root. I, Mr. I'm like, Root. He's like, my favorite pictures are trees. I just think that I've never heard this from you. That's yeah. really kind of cool. So really, he, you had someone who mentored you, a, a teacher. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I remember the parents come to school day. And, and, you know, I remember him saying, you know, my parents were retelling the story. She asks a lot of questions. She asks <laughs> a lot of questions, you know. But I love her. But yeah, uh, asks a lot of questions. Yeah. So that is kind of where you got encouraged to do that. But I think for you... When you went to beauty school, you began to realize there's a lot more going on than just following the directions. Well, in beauty school, I got in line. And, you know, this is something I tell anybody who's going into beauty school. Anybody who's maybe approaching it beauty school after as a second career. Like maybe somebody who has already had an established career or gone to, um, has a degree, and they're going to beauty school. What I tell them, and I also tell this to people who you're just trying it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Beauty school is not your typical academic experience. You have to get what you want out of it because the information is there, kind of. You, they're giving talks and things like that, but you have to be the one in charge of pursuing the information. Not all beauty schools are created equal. Some are, are regimented and have you know established protocols. Usually you're going to pay more for those kinds yeah. of things. And then there's ones that are kind of performing on the like, down and low, you know, down and dirty, get it done, get the hours, get the money, get, you know, get through. Well, that's why I didn't realize there's schools out there that literally you just pay the bare minimum. They don't care. They'll never check anything. They'll just give a certificate right. at the end as long as you've done your hours. And then there's other ones that are very thorough, very program heavy, I guess you could say, where you have all these protocols to learn. Yeah. Well, know. what I tell people, I have a client who's actually starting beauty school. And I said to her, let me just tell you, the culture of the class might be so much like sit down and look at your phone. And I, I challenged her. I said, if you really want to learn, you have to be in charge of it. You have to be sitting in the front row. You have to be asking the questions. And you have to be able to deflect the bad vibes from your fellow students. Yeah, who just want to I do said, their time. Yeah, I said, don't take anything nice. Don't take anything with a brand name on it. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm just saying all classes are different. You know, there's different cultures. But just to prepare her for, for that kind of... Yeah, so you get through beauty school and you get in the real world and you start working. And... Most people, I, again, I hear stuff and people start, you go, that just doesn't work or that's not true. Because before lashes, you were a skin lover. Yeah. Like you 
read books on skin. You went to conferences. You were all things skin because you wanted to be the best. And you worked for plastic surgeons, med well, spas, and all that. Very fortunate. While I was going to beauty school, I went with a gal who was actually working for a plastic surgeon, a prominent plastic surgeon, a reconstructive surgeon in the Bay Area. Yeah, in Berkeley, actually. And that contact allowed me to, you know, intern for him, and I got my first exposure to the world of reconstructive surgery. And it was a completely different world. So while I was going to school and while I was working in the salon and going to beauty school, I was also interning with this plastic surgeon. But it was a wonderful opportunity because it allowed me to be able... Now, this is the early 90s. So it allowed me to work with other plastic surgeons, you know, because I had that experience already. Yeah. And so... I think that began to give you a bigger, broader view of skincare because skincare has a lot of voodoo practices oh, for sure. in it, a lot of foo-foo stuff, just because it, they're very careful what claims they make, right? They have to be very careful how they say things because obviously if they're misrepresenting themselves, it can cause troubles, but they've learned all the tricks of the trade and so they can say things in a way that makes you think that this yeah. makes me look younger and all that. Well, early on I learned because of the, the dual, you know, working in the salon and then working for the surgeon's office, I realized that there was two different standards, mm-hmm. right? There's the beauty salon standard, which was lower and rightfully so. We're not, you know, yeah, cutting into tissues and that yeah. kind of thing. There was protocols, like the way that you chart, there has to be evidence There has to be a certain procedure that you follow, which was established. So I I knew that there was differences between the way that, you know, both industries operated. Yeah. And so as you saw this and you began to want to bring this into your own best practices, so you approached skin differently. You just didn't accept the protocols if a skincare rep came and shared this or you worked behind the makeup counter for a couple companies and they would teach you things. You began to not just accept the, the question, right. what you were given to, right? So it began to change the way that I thought about things. And I remember going to, um, you know, I worked behind the counter for several different brands. And I remember going to their trainings. And they would say, we've got this great new product. And it has the ability to remember, help your skin to remember. And it does this, and it does this, and it plumps, and it does this. And, and my question, and, you know, I look back now, and I'm kind of embarrassed. Because I'd raise my hand, and I'd say, How? And they'd say, what are you talking about? It just does. And I remember one of them pulling me outside the room Mm -hmm. and speaking to me because they didn't want me to ask this in the classroom classroom, in front of everybody. And she says to me, ask the questions that you want now. And I said, well, you're telling me that it does these wonderful things. It increases the cellular hydration. It does this and that. Can you explain to me the mechanism? What is about this formulation and how is it delivered into the skin to be able to produce that? And she says, you know it does. It just does. And, but you know, I was naive. I was trusting at this time. And I said, really? She said, yeah, we, we got the studies and it does. And I'm like, wow, that's great. And then the further I got from that like exchange, the more I began to think she didn't know she needed me to be excited about the product line so that I could sell it. And that's all she cared about. That's all end. she cared. And you know, and this is something I'm going to affirm, but we've, I've been in trade shows with Tuss especially the later one, not the IBS show, but the Cosmoprof show. Oh, yeah. Because that's where you get to meet with chemists. That's where you get to meet with you know product designers and all that. And Tusney's really entertaining to watch. And, and, and she doesn't try to be difficult, but she'll come in and the person will just start, especially if it's just a salesperson and not an actual uh, uh, chemist or doctor, and they'll start just selling like, oh, this skin does da-da-da-da-da. And Tusney will go, well, what about this? And you can just see them stop. Like, they don't know what to say. They're like, well, it, it, it's kind of like the <laughs> – I was thinking when the guy's in the, um, the movie Spinal Tap, he's talking about his amp. And he goes, my amp, I just got 11 added to 11. 
they're like, wow. I mean, that's it only it, goes up to 10, but this one's 11. But this one goes up to 11. What does that mean? It, goes, it, means it just gives you more. It gives you more. It's louder. And he goes, what if you just made 10 louder? And then he just looks at him and goes, this goes to 11. <laughs> it's like he doesn't have an answer. Like he doesn't understand. And I think that I've seen this so many times with people with you as you're, you're honestly just trying to understand the science or the why behind the how instead of just being, well, it's the best for your skin. Okay, great. I'm glad to hear it's best for my skin. But now you need to explain to me how it does that. Let me back up. So I kind of had this understanding of it, but it wasn't super sophisticated. And I wasn't really as confident. Like in that moment, I was like, oh, really? That's really cool. It really does do that. And I began to parrot these things and realizing I'm parroting something. What really informed me, what really completely changed my worldview, altered my DNA and made me who I am today is an amazing researcher. His name is Dr. Carl Thornfeld, and he is actually one of my absolute heroes. I first met him. He was speaking at a conference in San-Francisco. Maybe it was 12 years ago, something oh, no, like that. Oh, more than that. I mean, we're talking about you first met him. Oh, it must have been oh, like before 2000. Before lashes, before lashes. Oh, yeah. So you were like 20-some years ago. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I remember the topic of the, the conversation. It was voodoo uh, cosmeceuticals. And <laughs> right up our alley, by oh, the way. <laughs> it blew my mind because he talked about the way that much of the, the beauty world creates product. There's a story about something. They pick an ingredient, like let's say something like green tea or, you know, some seaweed. Seaweed or whatever, right? And spring then they, water. Yeah, spring water. <laughs> and they say this stuff is the best. So we're gonna put this in our product. Or look at the studies of what the spring water does. Our product has spring water in it. And what he did was he began to break it down and say, that might be great marketing, but is it great skincare? Is it good science? Because first of all, you have to understand how does the skin respond to these compounds instead of us picking out what's trend, what's hot and what's in the market right now, like, pep, you know, for a while it was peptides and, you know, there's other key things, you know, in the early nineties, it was glycolic acids, it was AHAs and whatever's the hot trend at the moment, you put that in it and all of a sudden you've got this top selling product. But his approach was, what does the skin need? How does the skin respond to that? So he formulated his products by looking at studies of what preparations worked well with the skin and yeah. in what concentrations and in what how they're applied. No gimmicks, by the way. Right. There's no stories. If you talk to Epion, it's like brand that he's behind, say, how did you come into being? He's not going to tell you a story about like one brand told me once about a horse that has diseased skin and it went weighted in this spring and the spring healed the horse's skin so now this spring is is the foundation for all their skincare products no it's still on the market it's a very popular french brand today yeah. it's in you know a lot of dermatologists right. offices a lot of these are and, french brands and yeah. my other favorite one is the seaweed one this brand talks about how you need to put seaweed they talk about how the founder was a i think a rocket scientist and he had yeah. burned arms or something like that and he put seaweed on his arms and the seaweed healed his arms and then he decided to take this and put the seaweed in every bit of his product. No, he put a broth, a fermented oh, yeah, broth of yeah. the seaweed in. Well, that said, and then you were like, because she was trying to teach me a little bit about skincare and how things are working, and she asked nicely, but I think she was very offended by this, go, you asked, like, why don't you guys just sell the seaweed that worked? Because that seems like that would be really nice to put on people on your skin if it's burnt. And then what would look like you? Like, you're crazy. Like, no, no, no. It's in the product already. We don't need to get seaweed anymore. And you're like, 
And then you start asking, well, how does it deliver that seaweed? Because I think that's always one of the biggest questions for any skincare. It's like, okay, you put this product in it, but how does it deliver that into your skin and penetrate it? Well, what I learned from Dr. Thornfelt was that oftentimes the, the company will say this our product has this ingredient in it. Look at the studies. But you have to make sure that the studies are about the finished product, mm. not just the um, the ingredient by itself. And not because, just in-house, right? Because in-house studies are... Well, that's biased, another right? thing. That's another thing. He taught me that there is a difference between the way that you study something. You know, you can do um, your own informal study where you test something on one eye and you test on the other, and it's kind of anecdotal. That I'm not saying that that doesn't have weight, but there are different grades of testing. The gold standard is a randomized and double blind one, which means that the researchers don't know what product they're putting on. They don't know if it's the product that they're testing or, or not. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. That's right. And those tend to be very expensive, which is why a lot of companies don't do them. Yeah. But it's really and it's not required either by like the no, FDA or like, no, like that. No, it's not. It's not. Very expensive, $100,000. So a lot of times it's much easier to have another doctor's office or an establishment test something in. And, you, you know, you've got like a small population, maybe 30 people, right? But that sample size might not be indicative of the entire yeah. body of people. It might only be like one segment of the population and not everybody who's going to be using the product. So there's different values for testing things, right? Yeah. This is kind of what formulated your thinking process. As you learned from Dr. Thornfelt, as you studied and worked with plastic surgeons and as well as working in the beauty counter and hearing all these pitches like, hey, sell our product, sell us. And you started asking questions why and you started seeing a lot of people don't know why. They just they just do. And then we, even the same thing happened when we got in the last world. I remember in the early days going to trade shows, you would go up to people and you would ask some of these lash brands, go, hey, what do you guys do with the lash allergy? And they would just look at you and go, what lash allergy are you talking about? I've never, never had that. And you're like, but you 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 know, must. I'd say swollen is like, oh, no, sweetie, you, you need to really make sure that you're cleaning your tools, you yeah, know, yeah. looking you at me, patting my hand. I'm like. Girl, stop touching my hand. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not giving infect I'm not infecting people's eyes with dirty tools. Like a harbinger of disease. And, and now everyone knows the allergy, pretty much everyone knows it exists, unless you're new to the industry and you'll you'll learn soon and at some point. And it's just part of our industry. But man, for the longest time, people didn't want to talk about it. They just want to just ignore the problem. Like it doesn't exist, hoping if I just close my eyes, it'll go away. And that's just the way it is. It's because you would always ask questions like, what is this? Why does this client have this problem? What's yeah. going on with why, their eyes? Why could they come in before and then all of a sudden something's different? I mu- it must be something that I'm different doing different here, right? So this is how you come in the lash industry. And this is really what drives us. And this is what we wanted to get to today. It was just trying to understand that we are not trying to be difficult to be difficult. We like to know the why behind the how. And the whole reason is, is because we do this podcast as a service to the industry because I want this industry to be the best that we can be, right? Yeah. And I want to equip our listeners to learn how to think, not how to parrot, but learn how to think so that whenever you're navigating, whenever anything is thrown at you and somebody says, this is good, or this is, you know, try this, you're going to have a basis of understanding of questions to go through to say, is it good? I want you to have an internal system that can say, take you through a checklist, like, 
how to evaluate if what somebody is telling you is true or not, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying to do, to be a jerk about it because you know we attract more honey with vinegar. Wait, we attract more flies <laughs> with vinegar. I always or hu- honey with honey with honey. Oh, did I or say bees vinegar? Too. Yeah, right. Or bees too. Well, you know, be sweet, right? I'm not saying be an, <laughs> be a jerk, right? But I want you to be equipped so that you can discern what is real and and what is truth and what is hype and hyperbole and you know what's woo woo and what's real science. Yeah. And I think we in the beauty industry can get attracted to woo-woo and non-science at times because this sounds good. It makes us feel good. And marketers know that, by the way. They know how to manipulate and use us and sell us stuff at times because they're just trying to get a product out. And so they'll say the right things that tug our hearts and make us go like, I mean, the stupid horse in the water spring. Like who doesn't want a horse with good, you know, nice hides and beautiful skin and fur or whatever. It's like, oh, it's such a good story. The horse is better now. Of course I want to buy this product. I mean, I'm saying, I'm not saying I don't know any last brands that do that, but I know that marketing is a game for a lot of people and they will do whatever they can to sell it. And we just want you to get past the sales pitch to get past that. And I think that, Sometimes beauty professionals, because of the nature of our business, can be a little susceptible to this kink in the system, right? I remember this was early on. Going through beauty school, you learn about high frequency. And high frequency is an oscillating Tesla current. It's like the thing that looks like a neon tube and it lights up and it crackles and it pops and stuff. And basically what it does is it helps the client's own uh, skin and circulation system help to do it like a self-cleansing. Uh, it brings the blood flow to whatever area you, you're putting that current on. And it also produces ozone, which is antibacterial, it's germicidal. So any bacteria that's growing anaerobically, you know, like pimples, that kind of thing, it kills it, right? It zaps it. But I remember um, watching a video from, um, it was a fellow esthetician when I was starting my own thing. And, and I, was, I was watching her on YouTube, um, kind of like for inspiration. And she says, you know, I liked how she marketed herself. She was like about my age. And she was like, you know, my specialty is extractions. I do a facial with this high frequency. The reason why the high frequency is good is because it enhances product. It helps the product to penetrate better. And I thought to myself, that's not exactly true, right? But I can see where it's easy to think that because a lot of beauty professionals work by themselves in a room or they rent somebody. And there's not a lot of sharing of ideas, sharing of ideas, um, necessarily accountability. You're accountable to your client, but the client's not the professional, right? They don't know. So they're not going to challenge you. They're going to say, oh, that's, is that true? That, that must be true. Right. So it's very easy to get um, one thing and, and have it twisted and to repeat it again and again. And think this is why it is. Yeah. For example, I want to talk about how, for example, in my family, families yeah. from the South, my mother, the disease is called Alzheimer's, right? Now, she doesn't have Alzheimer's, thank goodness, but she doesn't call it Alzheimer's. She calls it Alzheimer's. 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 Yeah, it's Alzheimer's, right? Alzheimer's. You're old. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Mom, it's not Alzheimer's. It's Alzheimer's. You know, she's like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. It's all but, the same. Right. But, you know, it's kind of like telephone. It kind of like disintegrates the over time. The further information right? gets from its source, the more convoluted or confused or wrong it can be. Right. Like, I mean, words just evolve over time or meanings or best practices. So, yeah, especially work for yourself. So. Yeah, yeah. What was the word? There was one I had. What was my word? Crap shallow. Oh, crap shallow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. We'll share this. We should be getting wrap up here in a second. But yeah, crap shallow. I heard all my life from Tessa's 
amazing feast that her family would have in the South called Crab Chalau. And I was like, wow, this must be... Crab Chalau, first of all, it was like the highlight. You know, when the family had reunions, we'd get these big buckets of crab and my Aunt Hazel would make Crab Chalau. You know, kids are running around and you get a big pile of crabs and you just peel them and you eat the Crab Chalau. It's like, there's pasta there and it's just like this meaty red sauce. It's fantastic. And you just eat it for hours. And So one day you said, mom, hey, I'd love to have the recipe for crab chalau so I can continue that tradition in our family. And she's like, yeah, okay. So she sent me this recipe over and I'm like, I'm looking at it and it says Aunt Hazel's crab enchiladas. And I'm like, mom, I don't want enchiladas. I want crab chalau. And she's like, oh, sweetie, that, that is crab that chalau. Is crab ch- <laughs> I said, it says crab enchiladas. She's like, oh, we've just been saying it for so long. It just turned into crab chalau. And I said, <laughs> and there's no burrito. There's, there's no tortilla. It is nothing at all like, like enchiladas, enchilada. right? But it's like totally like my family to like, like I don't want to say denigrated, but like you know, yeah. it just evolved. It evolved and over so time. so basically, so you know, and Paul thought that it was this national dish of the South. I'm like, yeah. no, it's no, it's only her family it's, made up enchiladas. That don't, it's basically really enchiladas. like a spaghetti sauce with crab in it, right? It's not <laughs> crab anyway. Crab chalau is like you know, yeah. So the point is that. When you're in your own little circle and, and you don't have a lot of connection with other people, not sharing ideas, not sharpening each other, you can kind of just go off the deep end and, and kind have of, a, a, an idea go awry eventually. Yeah, point. and because you've never checked it with other people, like the thing about like, you know, I shouldn't wash with saline solution, you know, because it turns powder on people's Put eyelashes. salt on their lashes, yeah. Salt on their lashes, you know. And you can reestablish that and hardwire that into to the way that you think so that when you hear something else, you think that's wrong. Yeah. I've been doing it for years this way right yeah. but not understanding that it twisted early on and you've been perpetuating that right yeah. so my whole goal is to teach you how to think so that you can see those things clearly I'm really not trying to be difficult but I want you guys to be more equipped I want you guys to be thinkers instead of followers exactly and that's why we started a podcast because we said you know what there's other ways of doing things we were rinsing lashes since I think 2006 when we first started and that was normal for us. And for many, many years, we were concerned idiots, demonized. You know, you guys don't know. Your retention must suck. All these things were thrown at us. And finally, guess what, guys? Yeah, it's now pretty much becoming normally accepted that you can rinse your lashes because all along it was okay. It, it, the glue didn't change in the last 15 years. It wasn't like, well, it was just bad glue back in 2006. Now it's good glue, so you can do that. No, no, no. Not, glue's changed, of course. Some of the formulations changed, but not the basic Sinoraculate base, that's still the same. And that's what cures with saline or water and moisture. A lot of times people think it's the products because they don't have an understanding of the physical properties of it. When I first started lashing, I thought, you know, when I learned it in beauty school, I thought, oh, this glue is too hard and crunchy. It's, I'm going to wait until there's better products available, right? That was the wrong approach because it wasn't the products. Well, that was a little bit of it, but it was how they were applied, right? How they are applied, that's the physical dynamic, the physical mechanics of a bond. But a lot of us don't understand those physical properties. They think, oh, this is a good product, this is a bad product, right? No, mm-hmm. that's not it. It's like, how is the product used? How is it bonding? How much surface area are you getting? How much are you using? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no. And I think for us, like just, we should probably wrap this up, but I think the one thing I was thinking real quick, when you first heard lashes shouldn't get wet for 24 hours, or actually I think it was, yeah. it was 48 hours it was or 72 hours. Were you at first just like, okay, I guess that's oh, it? Oh, I absolutely did. Okay. I, I was like, yeah, because remember, I'm kind of, I'm compliant, yeah. right? So I'm like, yeah, don't wash them, right? Because in the very beginning, we weren't really 
equipped all that well. We weren't even really equipped to like... 2005, really. Like, yeah. There's no information about No information. Anywhere. Like, I wasn't even told, like, to separate stickies. Can you believe that? Yeah. Just do it. And it's like, it was kind of explained to me, like, it's going to be kind of like a mat of, of lashes. And it just you just want them to let the client let it grow out as a mat. Like, so even if they're stuck together, because if they try to separate, you know, whatever, it's going <laughs> to hurt, right? So just don't let them get anything wet because they'll last longer. And it was yeah. true because we didn't know how to bond. Okay. We didn't know how to isolate. We didn't know any of that so stuff. you didn't want the lashes touched in any way whatsoever? We didn't want the lashes touched because we knew that when they got touched, they fell out, right? Okay. And we couldn't say it was us because that's we we just got taught that way right but there was a lot of things we didn't know at that point in 2005 right so what was it that when did you start because it wasn't long until you started rinsing lashes did you just start asking personally like well i wonder why we can't wet your lashes was it something that where you just start reading online or what what made you go on that well let me tell you the company that i was trained with actually in their kit they did have a a small tube of like a saline solution Mm. so i knew that it was Okay, because it was in the kit. So it wasn't this taboo kind of thing, right? Yeah. And what I noticed was that when I put it in the client's eyes, the client was comforted by it, Hmm. right? And then I began to think if I need to remove the lashes, I don't put water on it. I don't put saline solution on it. I don't even use oil. I use the solvent that came with the kit. And back then, in those days, you guys, it wasn't a cream. It wasn't a gel. It was a liquid that looked like paint thinner, okay? it got everywhere. No, and this stuff burned like crap. I mean, it felt like kerosene on the eyes, right? So anyway, this was the dark ages. So you begin to say, question that. You begin to see... Yeah, I'm like, well, we don't use water and we don't use oil. Why is water... A problem. You know, a problem. Did you go research it or did you go online? I mean, the internet was around now, so you could verify this type of stuff if it was true or not. Well, I don't think I did it right away. Did you just experiment and say, let's see what happens? And you notice that nothing bad happened. Yeah. Just knowing if, if somebody came in and asked for all their lashes to be removed, there was no way that saline, saline was, was going to do it or but, oil. Okay. So you begin to come to this conclusion, okay, there's something not quite right with this statement. So did you start rinsing lashes? What made you finally say, I'm going to just rinse lashes at the end of every appointment? Well, as a contact lens wearer myself, mm-hmm. um, I, I knew that any kind of drying out, if I get something in the eye, I'm going to flush it with saline solution. Yeah. And I figured saline solution is safe for the eyes, safe for a contact lens wearer. It's going to be safe for eyelashes. It's going to be safe for what I'm doing. So you started doing it and noticing that you didn't have retention issues because it, and I'm, and then I do know this later, you started actually researching, you started going online. The problem wasn't, I wasn't concerned about, I mean, yeah, I was concerned about retention, but I was concerned about the way that the eye was. Mm-hmm. I was concerned about the redness that I was seeing afterwards. I was concerned about, for example, let's go back to that paint thinner kind of um, remover that was given, right? Because it burned like kerosene, people would almost like start crying in the chair if it got in there. What on earth was I going to put in their eye? I always had that saline solution because I needed to be able to rinse that stuff out because it burned like an MRFer. So that was actually the first impetus because there wasn't a cream or a gel on the market at that time that that clung into the lashes and didn't bleed in there. No matter what, this stuff ran into the eyes. All right. And then, like I know later, which I was kind of getting at, is that you did. You went on. You said, no, I actually went and studied what cyanoracolates do and how they behave. I remember you coming to me at one point going, you know, that... Cyanoracolates cure and they use moisture in that process, which is exactly the very thing we tell people not to put around the eye that yeah. actually helps yeah. the glue to actually become a plat, you know, like um, cured or firm. So it was something that over time, it took many years, I think, for you to learn all this stuff. And I think what's happened now for us is whenever a claim comes up now, 
we tend to move even quicker. I just go straight to the heart of the matter. Yeah. What is it that they're saying? Why is it they're saying you shouldn't do this? And or what's that? the evidence that supports that this is the way things yeah. should be? Right. Is it a preference or is it actually scientific fact? Right. You know? For example, sometimes people send us videos of them dropping different glues into water and they're coming to a conclusion this is a bad glue. There's old glue and there's this a new glue. This is a new glue. And my point is like, what does it prove that you're dropping into the water? It just shows that it's behaving differently. Yeah. Do we use the adhesive in the water like that? that nope. No, right? Let me just add into that, just to clarify, because I think people see this a lot, and it's, it's like, there you go. That's exactly it. See, this one, it's all milky, and the other one, it is hardens and becomes a drop and goes to the bottom, which means I forget which one's which. One's new and one's old. And again, who cares if it's old or new? If the glue, if you put it on, cures and works, that's that's the measure because we're not we're not going to be you're not like you said not putting the lashes on underwater we're not using it with water we are literally putting the lashes on and it's curing and now people are different about this you like your glue as it gets older it gets a little tacky perf- you're okay preference. with that right and it still holds just as long as a glue bottle that just came out of the refrigerator yesterday yeah so there's no difference really and we've seen that because we've tested that and we've not seen it like oh wow you're right old glue it breaks and falls apart quicker and new glue doesn't that's not true and so this whole visually very cool thing drops of glue in water looks great isn't helpful because there's so many other variables it just might be the way that the ingredients are and it's reflecting the surface tension it doesn't mean that it's a good or bad glue no there's no correlation between this and how good the glue will bond with the lash they're completely apples and oranges if we want to see what glue if we just were testing the how old the glue is this is fine maybe new glues do look like this and this will help you verify if you have three bottles like i forget which one's my newer glue and you go through and you do that drop that may help. That, that may help. But at the same time, it doesn't tell you like, oh, this one is a little bit more milky. I shouldn't be used or just dry or solidify real quick. That doesn't say oh, I should throw the glue out. That's not what it's that's telling right. you. It just shows you that that's how it behaves when you put it in the water. Exactly. <laughs> Which is maybe good to know yeah. if you want to know if it's old or new. That's great information. But it doesn't mean that now that's how you determine when it's time to stop using a bottle of glue. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what they're insinuating when they yeah. show that video. Yeah. That this is letting you know this glue is old and you should stop using it. Yeah. So I, and we can keep going, but we really should probably wrap this up. We made this baby cast into a regular cast. It's okay. a normal one. That's all, right. all good. And I think the big thing for us, we just want, I want people to get a peek into Tustin's brain a little bit about why we're difficult and why we do the things we do, why we question everything with hopefully the encouragement that not only will you question everything, but also you would question us. Like when we make statements or when we make an outrageous claim of some sort, which we tend to sometimes do, that you would go, why, Paul? Why do you think that? Mm-hmm. Please, I need to understand really the reasoning behind that because just saying ABC doesn't mean it's true. Well, we are a community, right? We're inviting you guys to join in this conversation. And it's also an act of humility to say, I'm not beyond reproach. If I'm saying something that's not true or there's a better way to do it, I want to know that because I'm a learner, right? So while it may be a little bit difficult to eat humble pie, that is what I want. So in our DNA, we're okay. We're okay saying we're sorry. We're okay saying we're wrong. It may take a second for us because like anyone, when you find out, wait, all this time we were wrong, that sucks. But that said, we do want to be there. That's where our heart is. And that's how we run our business, our salon. That's how we run this with our podcasts. And we will continue to do that. And I hope and pray that you guys will come to us often and challenge us. Because this is a safe space. I mean, you guys are our friends. If you're listening, it's because you have a desire to increase your understanding. I mean, that's that's who our followers are. The people that want to do their best and are looking for every opportunity or resource to add to their repertoire. 
Awesome. All right. Well, guys, that wraps up this show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I just really appreciate you spending some time to sit down with us and kind of hear the why behind the how with how we do things. I want to ask you to please follow us on Instagram at Lashcast Podcast and at the Lash Conference. And remember to subscribe, share, and review. On behalf of my Lash Commander, Tustin, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing. And remember, you, you have, have a friend, friend in the, the lash, lash industry. industry.